Uh, I also should rem uh, remind you as well, uh, uh, the Haddington House newsletters, Brian printed off some and left them out on the, on the front desk there if you want to pick uh, those up to find out what's going on at Haddington House. So, uh, Let's turn back to Matthew 18 and uh, we're going to look at this morning verses 1 to 15. And we're revisiting this, uh, the uh, idea of the resurrection, Matthew 28. Um, we looked a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, on Resurrection Sunday at 1 Corinthians 15, looking at all the, th uh, the, the things that hang in the balance if Jesus was not physically raised from the dead. You remember that some of the Corinthians were saying that, yes, we believe that Jesus was raised, but there's really no general resurrection. Well, uh, Paul is saying if there's no general resurrection, then there is no then Jesus himself wasn't raised. And if Jesus wasn't raised, we are still in our sins. God hasn't accepted his sacrifice. And that Jesus is a liar and an imposter because he said he would rise from the dead. And that the Old Testament said that the Messiah who would suffer, would also not be left in the grave, but that he would also rise. And we looked at uh, various um, evidences of that, uh, various proofs for the resurrection, and uh, we saw how people have wrestled with the question down through the centuries, who have taken it very seriously, uh, because everything uh, has hung on that. J.C. Ryle said something very uh, uh, um, uh, poignant. He said, Never was a, there a fact which the friends of God were so slow to believe as the resurrection of Christ. In other words, the, the followers of Jesus were slow to believe that this had actually happened. We see that at the end of chapter 28. Uh, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. He, uh, he goes on, Ryle does, and he says, Never was there a fact which the enemies of God were so anxious to disprove. And yet, in spite of the unbelief of professed friends and the enmity of foes, the fact was thoroughly established. And I invite you, uh, uh, the, the Christian faith is something that we have no bones about opening up and examining with great thoroughness. And it has been. We have no interest in not asking tough questions. We have no interest in not examining these things because we know that our whole faith hangs upon what we say about death, resurrection of Jesus. It's the same reason why you get year after year after year, uh, Time Magazine, Newsweek Magazine, all coming out, who was the real Jesus? Getting behind the, you know, did the resurrection happen? These are questions that keep coming up again and again and again. Because the, the fate of humanity hangs on them. And if we believe that we do have an enemy of our souls, that we, there is the power of darkness in this world, his greatest interest is in casting doubt upon these things. But we are not afraid then to open these things wide open. I remember when the Da Vinci Code came out, you remember uh, 10 or more years ago, Dan Brown's uh, famous book, Tom Hanks starred in the movies and so on. 
it wasn't a something that hurt the church. It was something that allowed the church to go back and say, look, this is what we believe about the, the Gospels and the early Scriptures and about who Jesus was. And the church came out stronger on the other side of that because as Dan Brown uh, it was, it was trying to show that, that the New Testament was unreliable and all these sorts of things. But the church met and rose to the occasion and were, were the better for it uh, because of it. And so we're not afraid of saying, let's get into uh, the meat of this and see if this is historically accurate. And people have looked at the resurrection accounts and have come to a solid conclusion that Jesus did rise from the dead, just as he said. And this chapter is emphatic on those things, on those signs. And, and uh, what we're going to look at this morning is going to be further exploring some of those evidences. But the evidences were not simply given to disprove unbelievers or to rebuke unbelievers or to win an argument but to really encourage and comfort the bewildered and fearful followers of Jesus as a first as a testimony to them they needed to know they were followers of Jesus they were believers in Jesus but again if you think you put yourself in their mindset have, after having followed him for three years in his ministry, having seen him raise the dead and do miracles and all these sorts of things, uh, and then to see him violently taken away, flogged, crucified, and buried. You try to process what you now are to think about God about life, about right and wrong, about good and evil, all of these things. I mean, we, they didn't have the rest of the story as Paul Harvey talks about. They didn't have that. All they had was what was in front of them. And that didn't look good. That was completely confusing. So Jesus had to go the extra mile and minister to them. Not simply to leave a catalog of evidences for people to argue over or write books about down through the centuries, but as first as a comfort to the wounded, beleaguered, fearful people of God. And so, uh, uh, this is one of the things that Matthew does in this. And he does it through a series of witnesses. A series of witnesses. Uh, there are supernatural witnesses in the angels. There were the human witnesses of the, of the women. There was the divine witness of Jesus Himself. And then there was the witness of the enemies themselves of God to the resurrection. And we're going to look at these in turn. But it says, now after the Sabbath, in other words, after Saturday, which is the Jewish Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, in other words, before light had broken, these women struck out from their homes to show a last act of devotion and love to Jesus. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And so you imagine the love of these women. Even after 
the devastating circumstances of what they've been through the last few days, they still want to show that love and devotion to Jesus. Incredible. Going there in the dark to find the tomb and then knowing that there was a, a, a guards put outside the outside, the tomb was sealed, and it was a crime to break the seal of a tomb that had been sealed, but then to try to convince those who were watching over the tomb to actually push the stone back, which was incredibly heavy, and then to allow them to continue to minister unto the dead body of their friend Jesus. We can see the incredible devotion of these women. And that was after having them thought, think, you know, he is, he's dead. This is the end. All our hopes are gone like the two on the road to Emmaus. We thought He was going to be the one to save Israel. We thought. Our hopes are dashed. These women nevertheless go and show this love and devotion to Jesus. I say that in terms of where we stand in redemptive history. We stand on the other side of that. Having known now in a, in, in a more wide open way that, Je, that this Jesus would rise from the dead and that He ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of the Father and will come again one day. And what should that say about the lengths to which we go to show devotion to Jesus each and every day? What should our zeal be for the church? What should our zeal be for the worship of God? Of extending the kingdom of God throughout the world? In telling people the good news? If these women in such grave circumstances, in such discouraging circumstances, still wanted to show love and devotion to the dead body of Jesus, how much more should we as the church desire to honor the risen glorified, sovereign, gracious God that Jesus is. How much more should we be willing to see our whole lives in that context? Our workplace, our school, our homes, our family, everything is now colored by the fact that He is risen. He is risen. He has ushered in a new creation. He has ushered in a whole new world. A world in which the dead will now rise. He was the beginning. He was the first fruits. But, as the Bible says, we at His coming will be that great harvest when the earth and the sea will give up their dead. And so these women come to anoint the body of Jesus. They are met by these witnesses. The, uh, the other Gospels speak of uh, two angels. Ma Matthew records one simply because one, this one particular angel is doing the speaking. Behold, there was a great earthquake. And here's another uh, uh, natural phenomena that had taken place. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. The angels had a wonderful ministry, didn't they? In fact, that they, 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 we talked about the curtain last week that was torn in half, that, that separated 
uh, a sinful people from a holy God. And we saw that the angels, angels were emblematic of, of heaven itself. They were the servants of God. And that for that, that curtain to be torn, it showed that redeemed sinners could now come into the presence of God and call Him their Father. But it was a picture of coming into heaven again. It was a picture of reconciliation between God and man. But the angels were there from the very beginning, weren't they? They heralded the birth of Jesus. They spoke to both Mary and Joseph. They even told them what His name would be. They appeared on the plains of Bethlehem to the shepherds saying, uh, uh, you know, uh, unto you this is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. That was their message. They were there when uh, uh, Jesus was uh, uh, attempted in the wilderness. They were there when Jesus was in agony in the garden, an angel sent to comfort Him. They were there when the disciples were looking up as they were seeing Jesus lifted up from the earth and ascending into heaven. And they said to them, Why are you looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who you saw go will come back again in like manner. And the Bible tells us that they will also be there when Jesus returns. He will come with His angels with Him. But this man, this angel, he appears and his, his clothing uh, were as white as snow and he was like lightning. And this vision testified to the victory and the complete victory that Jesus had won over sin and death. The angel now appearing uh, before these women to testify that, of, of the good news of the Gospel. And they have this message. He has this message. And for fear the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. These angels, the Bible tells us in the, in, in the, the epistle to the Hebrews, are ministering servants sent to the heirs of salvation. That means all who believe are heirs of salvation. You inherit salvation. So they're sent as servants. Isn't that, doesn't that speak of the dignity of God's people? The dignity of believers that angels minister to us. And they were sent to minister to these women. To comfort them. And to give them the good news. That the one whom they loved, the one they're seeking, I know you're looking for Jesus. I know your love for Him. I know what's in your heart. I know your, 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 your passion for Him. He is not here. Again, it speaks to us of the, of the, the historical, historical evidence that's at play here. Some have surmised that they, they went to the wrong tomb. Oh, they went to a tomb that was not... And they were, oh, you know, they, they, they missed it by a couple of tombs, you know. The, no, no, the angels were saying, look, he was here, he is not here. Come and see where he lay. You're at the right place. But his body is not there anymore. It rose out of the tomb and is now gone. And... 
he is inviting them to come and examine. So much does he want to put their fears at rest. Come and see. Come and see. That's really the testimony of the Bible, isn't it? Come and see. Come and investigate. Come with your questions. Come with your doubts. Come and see the place where he lay. In John's Gospel, it tells us of the clothing, that the, 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 the garments in which Jesus was wrapped. The head cloth and the, the, the body wrappings. They were all neatly folded and put in a certain place. The angels are inviting them to come and put all their fears to rest. Come and see. Jesus does that with doubting Thomas, doesn't He? Come and put your hand into my side and touch my hands and see, a ghost does not have flesh and blood as you see I have. Do not be faithless, but believing. This is what the Bible invites us to, to do. Come and see. Come to that place. Come to the evidence. Come to the Scriptures and see if Jesus is not all He said He was. This is why I keep saying to you, uh, in, in the New Testament when Paul would go and, uh, into a city, he would reason from the Scriptures. It was, it's intellectually reasonable to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And He is the Savior of sinners. And so the evidence continues to pile up here. They need to be convinced. And the angel is wanting them to have that evidence. He's wanting them to have that comfort and that peace and that joy. Because they need to get on with not being fearful, but being joyful and worshipful and begin to spread the good news. That Jesus is alive. He has risen. He is not here. He has risen as He said. As He said. In Matthew 16.21 listen to what Jesus says there as He predicts these very things. From that time Matthew 16.21 From that time Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And of course, what does Peter do? Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him saying, Far be it from You, Lord, this shall never happen to You. But He turned to Peter and said, Get behind Me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You're man-centered in your thinking. Isn't that the problem with many in the world? They say, if, if, I, if I can't touch it or examine it or prove it, it doesn't exist. But we were created for more than that. And Jesus rebukes him and he, he addresses Satan in him. So, so he, emphatic, Jesus wants to rebuke what Peter is saying. And Jesus had predicted his death, yes, but his resurrection. That he was coming back to life again. 
just as he said, says the angels. He is not here, but he is risen as he said. That's so important for us. Because that means that the resurrection of Jesus then rubber stamps everything that Jesus said about his person, about his work, about the past, about the future, about Noah and Jonah, about the creation of the world, about sin and righteousness, about everything. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so if Jesus did rise from the dead, fulfilling everything He said, then we must accept all that He taught and all that He uh, uh, said to us. But the message is more than that. It's not just that Jesus rose from the dead or that the Son of God came back to life, but what kind of Savior came back? Will it be different? You've probably been, had that in a relationship that you had maybe a friend or something like that. Maybe there was a falling out years ago and when you, you're, you're, you're going to see them again. Will it be the same? Will it be different? We, the last time I spoke, we exchanged harsh words. But, you know, how is it going to be now? Jesus knew. Jesus understood. He's the Good Shepherd. He knows what His sheep are feeling. And He, through this angel says, then go and tell, quickly, and tell His disciples that He has risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you to Galilee. They need to know that Jesus is favorably, lovingly disposed toward them. This very same group of people who ran away, one of them denied Him three times when He said He wouldn't, with swearing. He said He wouldn't disown Him, but He did. And now, the first message out of the disciples, uh, the angel's mouth is for the women to stop being afraid he knows what they're doing. He knows what's going on. He calms them down and says, now go to that very same group of people who ran away and disowned Jesus to say, I am still your Lord. You are still my disciples. In Mark's Gospel, it tells us that the angel added something there. He said, go and tell my disciples and Peter. That is... That tells us everything we need to know about how Jesus feels about us. That tells us so much about the ongoing ministry of Jesus toward us on a day-to-day -day basis. When we have failed Him again and again and again and again. And we can't get our act together. Go and tell my disciples. And make special mention to Peter because I know he's especially devastated. I saw that look in his eyes. I saw him run out and weep. I saw what, it, what, it, what he did to himself. I saw what his foolishness and ignorance and his rashness did to himself. And I know what he's going through. But he's mine. He's one of mine. 
I died for him. I rose again for him. Now go and make special mention to him that I am alive and that I want to see them. You see, we need to know not only that Jesus rose, but what kind of Jesus rose? What kind of Jesus is alive right now? How does Jesus feel about us? And that, that's why we, we read in, that, in, in uh, uh, paraphrase 50, Paul says, here is a faithful saying, Christ came to save poor sinners, of whom I am chief. But for that very reason, to me was mercy shown. For that reason, mercy was shown. Because you are a, 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 a poor sinner and the chief of sinners, that through the worst of sinners, his patience might be known. This shows that every sinner who will in Christ believe will through his boundless mercy eternal life receive. It's as simple as that. That was the, the witness of the, the angels. It was also the, the human witness. And the fact that it was women that were the first witnesses tells us that this is not a, something made up. Because if you were writing an account like this and you wanted the story to be believed and propagated, you wouldn't let women be the first ones to go and tell the story. Because the testimony, unfortunately... This is the way people thought and people that the testimony of women was not taken as a legal truth. That their testimony was not uh, uh, taken in court of law. And so the fact that it was women that were given the first rights to go and tell this story and that the gospel writers in all four gospels put women at the as the ones who were the first ones to go with it, shows us the authenticity of what the gospel writers were saying. If this story were fabricated, if this story were made up, it would be men who would be the first ones to witness it. It would be men the first ones to testify about it. But as one commentator said, there's a new era here. As the New Testament, that as Jesus Himself is laying a dignity upon women that had hitherto before not been seen. An equality that had not been enjoyed before. And it was these women who had followed Jesus so closely and ministered to Him who are now given the privilege of going with the message that He is risen. Then there is the divine witness of Jesus Himself. Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. They didn't go to grasp Him and their hands passed through Him like a ghost. They grabbed His feet. They were able to hold on to Him because He had physically risen from the dead. Jesus takes that message even further. It's not simply disciples. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. 
Jesus is emphasizing even further this idea of his love and grace. Go tell my brothers, they're my family. For that's why I died and rose again to reunite the children of God in one family, under one Father in heaven. And that's what we look forward to. That's what heaven will be. It will be family. We will be brought to a level of family that we have never known in this world. And I know we all appreciate family. The love of family. Father and mother and siblings and so on. And we love getting together and reminiscing or, and being there for one another. The power of family. Jesus takes it a step higher. He says, here is my family. Those who do the will, hear the word of God and do it. They are my mother, my father, my brothers, my sisters. They are, he's, he's taking family to a new level. And the first words out of his mouth is recorded by Matthew. Don't be afraid, but go tell my brother. He's right there, in other words, with comfort. He's right there with mercy. He doesn't let one second go by before he is able to say, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. The first words of Handel's Messiah from Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort! Comfort my people, says the Lord. That's the heart of Jesus. His desire is to immediately, even in the Garden of Eden, you remember when Satan tempted the man and the woman and they fell into sin. They disobeyed God and they knew they were naked and the guilt and shame had come upon them. But right on top of that is the good news that the seed of the woman would come and destroy the devil through the crucifixion, through the, the death of the seed of the woman on the cross. So that there's the bad news, but on, right on top of it is the first proclamation of the Gospel in the Garden of Eden. That's the heart of Jesus. And that's why we, we come and we gather. Come and see, says the angel. Right? They are invited to the tomb. They're invited into the tomb. Come into the very inner sanctum and see for yourself if it's not so. We're sometimes tempted not to come to church because we feel bad about ourselves. We feel, oh, I've done this, that, and the other. and I, I'm not, I can't get my act together. And I'm, I'm just a... I'm just no good. No, but we come and we hear the Gospel afresh again. We hear the good news that Jesus accepts even the worst of sinners because of His... The, 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 we'll look at what it says here. Will through His boundless mercy, His boundless mercy, Come and see. Come and see. Do not be faithless. Do not be unbelieving, but come and see. And so what God is doing, what Jesus is doing here in these words, in these interactions, and, 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 and when we think about the first words out of His mouth, 
What would be the first words? And what do those first words tell us about his intentions, about the relationship between him and his disciples? Or about what his intentions are for you and I this morning? Peace. Don't be afraid. You are my friends. You are my disciples. You are the ones for whom I died. Everything will be okay. Everything will be fine. What an amazing thing for these women. Just moments before, utter despair had clouded their minds. But now, a new life has begun. A whole new world they've entered into. And that's what happens when we come and see for ourselves the evidence and the truth. When we see the will, not only the proof of the resurrection, but the willingness on the part of Jesus to receive us. So that you are, in spite of the life that you've lived and the sin in your life, you're saying, I can't but come. I can't stay away. I've got to come and see. And now the darkness is gone. The guilt is gone. The fear is gone. And a new day has come. Because He lives. And because He lives, I too will live. He will wash my sins. He will give me His righteousness. And now goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And while these women were celebrating, the enemies were conspiring. Verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had established with the elders and taken counsel, I'm sorry, when they assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. What a, what a difference in the two. The joy, the, the release of the women and the, that their leader, their Savior is, was alive. And that all that He said was true and that a new day had dawned. And on the other side of it, there were these men, all they were in interested in doing was preserving the status quo. Continuing to preserve what they had. They themselves had to admit that the body wasn't there. They, that's why they went. The body is not there anymore. What are we going to do? If this gets out, everybody will believe that He is who He said He was and that He is truly the Messiah. Here, we'll give you this money. If anyone says, say his disciples came and stole his body. We saw last week how ridiculous that would be. Why would the disciples want to steal the body of Jesus? And then spend a dec decades afterwards suffering unspeakable hardships for something they knew was a lie. How would the... The last thing on their mind was to try to break into a tomb and steal the body of Jesus. They wanted the body simply to rest there. They knew He was dead. They would have no interest in taking the body of Jesus. How would they get beyond these guards? 
fight their way while they were asleep. These men would be rolling back this and taking the body of Jesus out while the, these soldiers, who if they failed, would be in danger of being put to death, were sleeping somehow? No. The evidence does not bear it out. Their story is full of holes. But yet, that's what many people do when it comes to the Gospel. They don't want to make that final step in coming to Jesus. And so they keep Him at arm's length. They say, no, no, no. They will embrace the lies of the world. They will embrace the lies of the devil. Because they want to preserve the status quo. My respectability among my family and among my community. I don't want to become a Christian because I don't want to be seen as a fundamentalist or I don't want to be this, that, or the other. So we keep Jesus. And regardless of the evidence, regardless of the truth of the Scriptures, we keep Him at arm's length. We make up a different story. And we try to convince ourselves of that. As these men tried to convince themselves of of, uh, of these things. They tried to rather convince others that these things were, were the case. Where do you stand then this morning? How do these things fit in your mind and in your heart? Where will we come down? Will we enter into the, the joy of hearing about the truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected? Or will we embrace the, the darkness and the lies of those who conspire and who will invite any foolish notion to concoct any foolish idea simply to keep God out of their lives and keep them from be, having an uncomfortable life? That's what we see among these two scenarios, two situations. The enemies couldn't deny that Jesus' body was gone. It was gone. They knew it. In spite of the fact that they were soldiers, they were sent to do a job, and his, now the, the, the body was gone. And they couldn't explain how or why. They, they simply had to concoct a story in their mind. And so I invite you then this morning, as we are coming on the last of this Gospel, many of you were with us when we begun this Gospel. How were you then? How are you now after 28 chapters of words, evidence, unfolding prophecy, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, after unfolding the person and character of Jesus Christ and His worthiness, after un interpreting for us in the Sermon on the Mount the, the heart of man and the grace of God, where do you stand this morning? God is putting it to you through the Gospel. These are, these are eternal issues. Our souls hang in the balance. And I'm not saying that simply to scare people or to pressure people. I'm simply saying that that's what the Bible itself is saying. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing, you might have what? Life in His name. So see the lengths to which God has gone. See the lengths to which Jesus has gone to prove that these things are so. 
but also to prove his heart. We're not just seeing cold evidence here, are we? We're seeing the heart of Jesus burst forth in love and forgiveness, not just to his disciples, but to all of us, even the chief of sinners. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be as these women who fell at the feet of Jesus and worshipped Him. Worshipped Him as God. Worshipped Him as the risen Savior. Worshipped Him as their friend, as their, as their uh, deliverer. Oh Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would be at work in each one of us. Lord, we all struggle. We all have things that get us down. We all believe the lies of the devil at times. And we, Lord, we struggle to keep our heads above water. But Lord, we pray that we would hear the invitation of the angels. Come and see that He is not here, but He is risen. Father, that the joy of that would propel us through the darkest times in our lives and give us a song in the night. Father, continue to be with us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>